Welcome to Learning Matters, brought to you by Michigan Virtual. I'm Ann Thomas, and I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Dave Richards, the Executive Learning Strategist for Michigan Virtual. On this edition of the show, we're going to be talking about designing student-centered learning environments, and the focus would be on personalized learning for students. We have got a fabulous panel assembled, and it's going to be an interesting and informative show coming up next. Welcome to Learning Matters, brought to you by Michigan Virtual. I'm Ann Thomas, and I am here with my co-host, Dr. Dave Richards, the Executive Learning Strategist for Michigan Virtual. And Dave, on this edition of the show, we're talking about designing student-centered learning environments. And our focus is going to be on personalized learning for students. We've got a wonderful panel assembled here for this show. First of all, we say hello to Dr. Kiana Warren, the Associate Executive Director at Purdue Polytechnic High School in Indianapolis. Dr. Warren, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. And we also have Virgil Hammonds. He is the Chief Learning Officer for the Knowledge Works Foundation in Cincinnati. Virgil, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be with you and to learn with you all. And last but not least, Dr. Steve Matthews, the superintendent of the Rockford School District. Dr. Matthews, welcome to you. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. And Dr. Kiana Warren, let's just start out, and I want you to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Give us your background. Um, so I am just so happy to be here. Uh, I, I've been blessed to have a variety of experiences that have um, really led me to understand the, the importance of student-centered design. Um, I started out my career as a teacher, and I, I was able to teach um, all grades, elementary up through high school, which gives you a uh, gives a really good perspective of the learning process over time. And and one thing I always say, one thing I learned was working with all grades. We're all big kids at heart, and we're we're all learners, and we all have. Um, commonalities with how we like to learn. Um, I started my school leadership journey with Goodwill Education Initiatives, um, and that really grew my passion for thinking uh, beyond what already exists, going beyond, and um, thinking about non-traditional ways, because um, the schools that um, GEI ran were all non-traditional from. We had a, a school that supported um traditional age students with um, unique learning needs. Um, and it was a big picture learning. In addition to, we had um, adult high schools where um, we were able to support students to um, get their high school diplomas even beyond um, the age uh, where the traditional systems wouldn't allow students to come. So uh, just a beautiful journey to see a 17 year old learn next to a 70 year old. There's just so much, um, beautiful uh, collaboration that happens there. And then uh, landed at Purdue Polytechnic High School where um, I was uh, part of the founding team and was able to uh, lead one of the schools before transitioning into this new role. And um, just an honor to be able to engage in uh, with folks that are as passionate about deep learning and understanding that at the heart and center of um, deep learning is voice and choice for students and really allowing them to be part of the design process and, and just engage in a very authentic way. 
So um, just really grateful for that journey and all the opportunities that it's brought. Thank you, Dr. Warren. And Virgil Hammonds, could you give us your background? Certainly. I'm glad to be with you all and with some friends here and new friends. Um, I, uh, much like um, Dr. Warren, also taught in all grades, K through 12. Um, the most interesting were at the primary level, where I really had no understanding of how difficult that is, <laughs> um, but learned such a, such a great deal. And I would say uh, my, my purpose um, and my uh, my true understanding of what education is all about was really centered um, in my early tenure as a as a middle school teacher and and high school principal, where I really learned about what it meant um, what it meant to really build structures, um, partnerships that that truly met the needs of every learner, um, and what that could look like not just in in partnership in my own classroom. Um, but with community, with colleagues, um, and most importantly, with kids, um, what that des- what those designs could mean and what those could look like. Um, so I've served in a variety of roles, um, educator uh, at all levels, um, a high school principal in Central California, a small community named Lindsay, and uh, currently or previously had served as a, as a superintendent here where I currently reside um, in, in Central Maine and now as chief learning officer at KnowledgeWorks. I get to serve and learn and collaborate with uh, tremendous educators like those represented here. And Dr. Steve Matthews, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I'd be happy to. I, I got into education a little bit uh, uh, through a side door. I, I started out as a social worker. I, I worked in a, a youth detention facility in uh, Lubbock, Texas, uh, where I uh, counseled and worked with uh, youth who were incarcerated waiting for trial. And and uh, then I was a social worker in the foster care unit in Lubbock, Texas as well. And it was there that I realized that you had to listen to students. You had to listen to the, the youth that you worked with. You had to hear their stories. You had to come to understand who they were as people uh, before you could really uh, uh, make a difference in their life. And, and it was at that point that I decided that I needed to get into a profession where I was on the front end of problems instead of the back end of problems. And so I, I got into education and uh, and uh, I've been a teacher in the middle school. I've been now this is my 15th year as a superintendent in the state of Michigan. And uh, I think I've carried those lessons with me throughout all the various stops I've made along the way of really trying to listen to students and hear their stories and try to create learning experiences that that matter to them. Wow. Dr. Dave Richards, this is quite the panel. I'm going to let you take it from here. Thank you, Ann. Uh, so excited to have this group of leaders with us today and, and to have this conversation around uh, personalizing learning, but really creating student-centered environments where the kid is at the front of every decision. Virgil, if you don't mind, I'd like to start with you. Uh, you travel the country. You have an incredibly busy schedule working with school districts across the country, both at the local and the state level. As we come out of the pandemic, what are you seeing that districts are struggling with as they try to design for the future of learning. Yeah, thanks, Dave. And it, it is a real privilege and honor to um, to engage communities across the country as they're rethinking um, what learning could look like. And and I'd say there's um, a couple of really interesting ideas that I wanted to share share with you all that um, that would help uh, transition, transform, uh, recenter where learning happens. And one of one of those first things is, we'll start with the student. Um, Probably for most of our experiences, for those here and also for those listening, 
um, oftentimes our educational experience was about compliance. Um, what is it that we need to do? Um, what is it that I need to present or perform? Um, and it was really about order and, and um, following directions more than anything else. Um, and what we have seen a lot through the pandemic is uh, this thirst to really engage learners in different ways, right? So uh, we didn't have access like we had before. And so educators across the country and systems across the country started rethink what does learner engagement look like? Um, so this movement from compliance to engagement. And, the, and now the, the, the real opportunity that's come up um, that is really exciting um, to hear about, and I'm sure we'll hear it from Dr. Matthews and Dr. Warren, is this move from compliance to engagement to empowerment, right? Where learners really start to own um, learning structures uh, within their learning community. And, and not just within their classrooms or their schools, but also throughout the community, which is why oftentimes at KnowledgeWorks, we, we don't necessarily re refer to school systems or school districts in that way. We refer to them as learning communities because it's now transcended those school walls. So again, that, that move for learners that move from compliance to progression to engagement, which is fantastic, to one that's fully about their empowerment um, to own the learning structures. Um, another really interesting um, strategy that we're starting to see to help accelerate innovation in learning communities um, is this kickstart and focus on, on personalizing professional development for um, educators as well, but to amplify that or multiply opportunities for educators, seeing a lot of focus on teacher residencies, um, which oftentimes happens at at the higher ed level. Um, so the opportunity to, to do some research, to learn, to implement, to apply, to refocus. But now that's being done at the K-12 level as well. Um, again, the thinking being, how do we focus on what the future of learning could look like, but how do we learn from that immediately so that we can apply that um, instantly with our learners and throughout our community? Um, some really exciting strategies that, again, are focused on um, how do we provide uh, and support the needs of our learners and do that instantaneously um, and also um, not just in, in isolation um, in classrooms, but in partnership with community? You know, it's, it's so true that the, this transformation has been accelerated because of the pandemic. And Dr. Warren, you've been doing this work. Obviously, I've been following uh, the efforts that you've been making at Purdue Polytechnic and looking forward to coming down and making a visit with a group of educators from Michigan. But can you describe the environment at Purdue Polytechnic and, and just so folks can kind of get an idea of what drives that work every day? So um, it's such an honor to talk about this because I just love um, our schools and our students and our amazing um, community that we're building. But um, I always tell people, come visit. You have to see it uh, for it to, to make sense, but I'll try to paint the picture. So I describe our school as looking more like a tech startup than a school. And we were very focused on making sure that our school doesn't look institutionalized that it doesn't look like a uh, place uh, too traditional because we're trying to uh, extend beyond those boundaries. And in the um, foundation of our school, um, even down to the furniture, um, we have flexible seating. We have different levels you can work on. Some kids work better standing up. Some people need a walking desk. All of those things are incorporated into our space. Um, and Every day the learning looks different um, because students need different things at different times. So one of the things that we did 
we, when we were um, thinking about the design of our school, we said, we have to truly be student-centered, not in our words, but in our actions. So the first thing that went out the door was the master schedule. Um, master schedules exist because um, they, they make sense for um, getting teachers in front of the same students. But we're like, what if a student one day really needs more math time, but one day they need more English time? Now, we believe our, um, and I'll tell you, tradition, or we give traditional credits, all of those things. But we, um, we really double down on project-based learning and authentic learning. Um, we have uh, a lot of partnerships with the community to make sure we're engaging with them. And so students get to pick projects. They don't pick classes, but they pick these integrated projects in which they get to really hone in on their passions while also learning the academic content. So uh, it's a very different environment and kids are running around using the design thinking process and language like empathy interviews. And I need to iterate on that, that idea. Um, and we really try to step back and let the students help. We try to help them discover their superpowers and their brilliance, but we just try to get out of their way. You are listening to Learning Matters, brought to you by Michigan Virtual. Let's take a quick break, and we will continue this conversation on personalized learning for students in just a few minutes. Are listening to Learning Matters brought to you by Michigan Virtual. I'm Ann Thomas. I am here with my co-host, Dr. Dave Richards. He is an executive learning strategist with Michigan Virtual and a great panel today, Dr. Dave. We're talking about personalized learning for students. And I'm going to let you continue now with Dr. Steve Matthews, who also, I am sure, has some fabulous ideas on this subject. Dr. Matthews, it is uh, it is such an incredible time to be a superintendent in a local school district right now. Um, it's been very challenging because of the pandemic and all the issues that have come with that. But it seems like we're moving from that threat of the pandemic to the opportunity that district leaders are recognizing. Now is the time. Seize the day to make some of these structural changes that we've been wanting to make for a while. From your lens as a local superintendent, what are you thinking as you consider the next 12 months, 24 months as a leader? You know, it really is an opportune time to be a leader, especially in a local school district. Uh, the, the pandemic really did uh, open up some doors and, and help us all to see that there are, is more than one way to, to do education. Uh, you know, the, the big challenge that we face is that uh, we've been doing school the same way for so long that, that people are really hesitant to embrace the opportunity to change. Uh, you have the, the, the students and families who have done very well in traditional school models, and uh, the universities, quite frankly, aren't very open to uh, new ways of, of grading students, aren't open to, to new ways of counting credit, for example. And so uh, parents in those traditional school districts that have done very well are, are very hesitant to embrace change at times because they've been successful in the system that we've had. And then you have uh, the, the students in, in districts that haven't done very well, and, and they may be suspicious, saying that you're trying to change the rules now, and, and, uh, and that will prevent us from uh, walking through that door into those successful uh, post-secondary experiences. And so uh, the tension between those two really 
um, uh, creates uh, difficulties for local school districts as they try to uh, help people see and, and create a vision for what education really can be like. You know, we, we've had opportunities through the pandemic and, and uh, we've had great educators create opportunities for students that have never been there before. And now the, the question is, can we make them part of the regular environment of school? Mm -hmm. And can we really begin to listen to student voice? And can we really understand uh, what students are trying to tell us uh, when, for example, they would turn off their screens uh, during a Zoom session or when they would uh, uh, create uh, uh, very creative and, and wildly interesting projects outside of school. And we say, why can't you be that engaged in school? And they will tell us that that school isn't really that meaningful to them, that they find uh, pleasure and enjoyment and curiosity outside the confines of school. How do we bring that into the school system? And those are the lessons that we have to try to figure out how to integrate now and in, into the, the more traditional way of doing school. Dr. Warren, can you respond to that? I mean, I see your the reaction and your thoughts. I know how passionate you are about this. What, what, can you react to what Dr. Matthews shared? Yeah, I agree with everything Dr. Matthews has said, um, and that for too long, schools have been, and also with what Virgil said, for too long, schools have been hostile places um, where it's about compliance versus creativity and engagement and, and learning and empowerment. I love how Virgil said that um, because the the future of work, we don't know what that is. We don't know what it'll look like because the jobs that um, are uh, that exist now, I would have never dreamed of them when I was in school myself. And so I think the biggest thing is we need to feed that curiosity. We want to make sure that we have students who can collaborate, communicate, and innovate. And if um, and all of that that matters much more than memorizing facts. And and I always say if it's something I can Google, um, it's not something that I need to memorize. And we really need to start thinking future forward because if we're stuck in the if we're stuck with like let's prepare the kids for the 21st century, we're a century behind. And I'm not going to let the students here be a century behind. And what I will say, a big learning for us during the pandemic really kind of helped us double down and go even deeper into what we believe about project based learning, collaboration, and the uh, human-centered design is that we learned that students um, really needed the engagement with each other, the collaboration. They miss coming together. We have seen an increase in the number of students who engage with robotics and engage with sporting events. As soon as they could, they were back and, and ready and excited. Um, and we need to play on that. Like um, I always say that no matter what, the students hold the culture. So what, we might as well work together to make it the place that they want to be versus trying to get that compliance. So I think we, there's so many lessons learned. And it would be a shame if, the, if in the United States we missed this um, mm -hmm. because we, there's real, the possibilities are endless. With uh, I think during the pandemic, we learned that you can meet with people from across the world very quickly. So um, I just completely agree with everything that's said. I get excited about conversations like this because I see it working. And that's, that's the question that we get sometimes too. We saw, um, even despite the pandemic, we saw academic growth for our students because we still doubled down on these projects and, and things like that. So um, I agree with so much, everything that's been said. And Virgil, as you think about the opportunity, moving from that threat to opportunity, as, as Michael Horn describes it in his new book, what what are those opportunities that are right in front of leaders that, that you say, hey, first and foremost, focus on this one and then this one, these are easy wins for you as a leader. 
Certainly. Um, so there are a couple, actually, and it builds on Dr. Warren and Dr. Matthews' commentary. Um, the first is, let's be really clear about what our, what our vision is um, and, and how do we build that shared vision together, right? So it's not something that um, we as superintendents or school boards build in isolation. It's how do we collectively as a community agree upon what, what the vision is for, for our learners um, and for our community? What is that future we aspire to accomplish together? And then what are our roles and in, in, uh, our shared roles in, in lifting that vision to a reality? And um, that's that um, doing that process together um, is just so uh, cathartic and healthy um, and it creates a, a new excitement. I think oftentimes as leaders, we think we're the ones that have to have the answers when the reality is that the answers are in the room, right? Or they're in the community. And so how do we collectively um, build that together? Um, the other is, I would I would say, let's be really clear about what the expectations for learning are, right? So, um, Dr. Warren said, let's double down on on these on this learning infrastructure. So, what what is it that we actually um, want our learners to learn? And let's actually create the flexibility and the opportunity for kids to demonstrate that learning in ways that make sense for each one of them. Um, but before we can get to that personalized learning piece, what what we are seeing a lot in, in communities, innovative communities like those represented here are crystal clear, transparent um, expectations for learning. However, with great flexibility in how learners achieve and demonstrate that. You know, it's interesting, Dr. Matthews, high achieving districts sometimes can struggle with this transformation. You know, as you mentioned earlier, they know the rules. They, they've been very successful at the old game, <laughs> the old rules of engagement. How do you lead that transformation where people don't feel like you're tinkering with the system, but you're actually making real systemic changes as a leader and, and getting to that place where there is a shared vision for learning? You know, I think there's a couple of things uh, that we can do. One is uh, you can create opportunities for the parents and community to hear from students. Uh, you know, in, in Novi, for example, uh, we had a a, uh, a conversation about student stress. And instead of, of me or our psychologist or our counselors getting up and talking about student stress, we brought the students in and they talked about student stress and, and they uh, managed the small group conversations that we had. And, and it was so much more powerful than if I would have st stood up and said almost the same thing because all of a sudden these parents were saying, wow, I, I didn't realize. And these were their, their kids, their own kids that they have in their cars as they drive them to school, that they sit around the dinner table with. And, and all of a sudden they were seeing them in a different way. And so I think one thing you can do is certainly uh, encourage and help parents listen to the, the students so that they hear them and see them in, in new and different ways. A second way, I think, is that you uh, create opportunities for parents to have discussions uh, about um, uh, ideas uh, outside of a traditional environment. We had book clubs that we did in, in uh, Novi in which you know, we read uh, uh, books like uh, What School uh, Could Be by Ted Dentersmith and, and Creating Innovators by Tony Wagner and, and, and books like that. And so all of a sudden parents begin to see that, oh, we can do school a little differently. Oh, oh there's, a, there's another way to approach this. Uh, to help stu our students learn. And so I think, uh, you, you know, you create those opportunities and then you move with the people who want to move and, and, you, and you venture forth and, and create opportunities with those people who are ready to move forward. And as you do and you find success, 
then more people are going to want to join and, and push forward and, and create new models for, uh, for doing education. You know, it's interesting. One of the things that we're spending a lot of time talking about, um, both at Michigan Virtual and within our Future Learning Council, is the concept of micro schools and really talking through is there a way to make it safe or maybe less risk uh, challenging to create in smaller pockets of innovation within school districts? So instead of disrupting the entire system, you create these opt-in opportunities for kids where it could be related to a pathway, a particular program. Um, Virgil, are you seeing that nationally where people are looking at these smaller pockets of innovation and then scaling that as examples? Absolutely. There's a common mantra. Um, start small, um, think big, right? So uh, that's absolutely um, you, where you're seeing kind of these uh, rapid cycles of innovation um, that can um, create momentum for, for scale to happen. And that, that absolutely is a, is a common strategy that's, that's occurring in school systems across the country, Dave. Dave, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation about personalized learning. And I've got this question kind of swirling around in my head as I listen to this great conversation, and it is, if I walk into a classroom as a student or a parent, what would this look like down the road? So that's the question for each panelist when we come back from break. You are listening to Learning Matters, brought to you by Michigan Virtual. We'll be back right after this. Great conversation here, Dr. Dave Richards, on Learning Matters. We're talking to a wonderful panel of state and national experts. We have Dr. Kiana Warren. She is the Associate Executive Director at the Purdue Polytechnic High School in Indianapolis. We have Virgil Hammonds. He is the Chief Learning Officer with the Knowledge Works Foundation. And we have Dr. Steve Matthews, Superintendent of Rockford School District. And I have a question for the group. And I want each person, we'll do a little roundtable, go around, talk to everybody, to paint a picture for me, if I'm a parent or a student, and I go into a classroom in the hopefully near future, and the classroom is focused on personalized learning for the student. So I'm going to start with Dr. Steve Matthews. Dr. Matthews, can you paint this picture for me? What, what does this look like, let's say, if it's a math class or an English class? Well, I'll give you a couple examples. Uh, one is it probably wouldn't be a math class or an English class. It would be a class. It would be a class in which oh. uh, we had an incubator class, for example, at Novi High School. Uh, Dr. R.J. Weber was kind of the inspiration for this, and, and we had two teachers at the high school, three teachers at the high school that really embraced it. And it was a class where students came in and, and uh, thought about a project that they wanted to do. Uh, and, and the incubator really was just that. It was an opportunity for them to think through and, and percolate and, and develop their project. And they also developed uh, projects as a group. And, and what you would see is students working in small groups. You would see students consulting with experts. You would see students uh, using their teacher as a resource. You would see the, the teacher 
as a guide saying, have you thought about this instead of lecturing to those students? And so it really is, is a classroom that's full of, of conversation, full of small groups, full of uh, individualized learning opportunities, all under the direction of a teacher who really is focused on helping those students find a path. A second example would be uh, we created uh, elementary gardens at all of our buildings. And so you would see students go out in the gardens and they would learn about planting and harvesting. But more importantly, they would learn about uh, the growth cycle and science. They would learn about uh, the importance of sunlight and oxygen and, and how those things work together. And, and so they were learning uh, these science concepts, but not out of a book. They were learning them uh, in real life. And so those are two examples of what classrooms would look like. So they're learning math, science, uh, English, uh, the ability to communicate, collaborate, uh, think creatively in ways outside of a traditional kind of uh, teacher-led classroom. It, it was a student-led, student-voice classroom experience. It's so exciting just to think about that. I mean, it, it's it's really awesome. It's a wonderful way to learn. Virgil Hammonds, what do you think? What are your thoughts on this? Well, I can't help but smile just hearing I know. It's awesome. you talk about those learning environments, right? And I recall visiting um, a community recently um, in Nevada, and um, there was just a lot of noise coming from as I was walking towards this classroom. And uh, I walked into the class, and what I didn't see was the teacher up front and center. Um, what I, I was greeted by the teacher that said, do you hear that? And I, I did. I heard lots of noise, lots of um, talking. And, and uh, she said, that's the noise of learning, right? Yeah. So it's kids uh, amplifying their voice, sharing their ideas. Um, and, and so I think there are a couple things that um, oftentimes we, we hear from learning communities. When you know um, uh, this more learner-centered design is, is actually living in reality is when um, learners can essentially ask, uh, answer a series of questions on their own, right? Because in the past, it was more about what is a teacher doing? And, and now it's, it's all about what is a learner doing and, and um, how much ownership or how much empowerment do they have to, to own these structures? And, and so a couple, you'll know you're there when you can answer a series of questions. And the, the common questions are, um, if you were to walk up to a learner, any learner throughout um, any of these learning environments in Dr. Matthews and Dr. Warren's schools, I know you will, they will be able to answer these questions. So what are you learning? Um, so then being very clear about uh, what it is that they are, they are trying to accomplish, trying to achieve. And, and secondly, um, how do you know when you've mastered it? Um, and and so, they, they're, so when learners can, uh, can articulate exactly what, when they know they've actually achieved what they're trying to accomplish with their, with their learning, uh, their expectations for learning, uh, when learners can articulate that, it's just incredible to see. And, and in a variety of environments, as Dr. Matthews has, has shared and Dr. Warren as well. And, la and another one is, how are you applying that learning? So it's not just about doing something, right, or, or pre turning something in. It's what are you doing with that learning? Um, so the application, taking that to, to different environments, whether it's those, those gardens or with, um, in concert with community partners, um, what does it look like when you've taken that newly mastered content and applied it in ways that are in, empowering and motivating to, to, to each learner? And then the other key element is when you know learners have owned the system is when they can clearly articulate what comes next. Mm -hmm. so here's, here's, what, here's how I'm taking my, my new learnings um, and applying it with these other content areas or in these other ways. Um, so you know you've reached there when, when, you, when learners are able to um, share a variety of answers to those questions. 
And Dr. Kiana Warren, I know that you absolutely love these ideas because you are smiling from ear to ear and shaking your head. Absolutely, yes. Um, So I agree with everything that's been said. I think it's really important when I walk into a space, I don't know who the teacher is because you don't have that power, power dynamic. In addition, the students are carrying the cognitive load, but also it's a shared learning experience and shared passion. So you're getting a teacher... Um, to learn with a student who's passionate about something else. So I'll give an example of a project we're working on. Uh, One of the projects that our students are working on, and I say we because I love to join this, but we have a group of students who are passionate about coffee. And so they're working on creating a coffee business where they will bring a coffee cart to the school. It's authentic because kids like coffee. It's authentic because at the end of this project, they know where they're going. They're going to have a coffee cart at the school. They're building it. They're working in the makerspace to actually build the cart. Um, one of the, they've been on multiple field trips where they've worked with different local coffee organizations to ask questions about the business. So they're learning from experts. So one of the big things about personalized learning is everyone's doing something different. Everyone has an opportunity and you have a diverse group of learners. Um, so I'm talking racial diversity, SES diversity, cognitive diversity. Um, we go much further when we learn from people who are learned with people who are different from us. And another really important piece, um, for me is it's super unclear who has an IEP in the class. It's super unclear who's high ability because students are just coming together and bringing their personal talents and not uh, not othered based on their learning differences. Um, and so I think the only thing I would add is just that, that diversity piece and that the, the beautiful part of it, I love how that Dr. Matthews was like, I wouldn't call it a class. Like we don't use, those are bad yeah. words in our, in our environment. They're not classes, they're learning experiences, they're projects. Um, and I think, um, I think it's even that change of vocabulary that deeply matters. Um, And I really um, think that um, just uh, students, it doesn't even have to be a classroom. It doesn't have to be a building for the learning to happen. Learning happens outside of the classrooms as well. And just making sure we can capture that in a really authentic way for for our learners. And Dr. Dave Richards, I'll let you take it from here. I love your comment. Get rid of cemetery seating. That's a perfect comment for this. You know, the traditional seating in a classroom is so symbolic of the structure that has just held us back for so long. And, you know, we refer to it jokingly as cemetery seating, but when the kids are in the rows and all facing the same direction, it's not very different than a cemetery that you drive by. And, you know, I think part of it is um, getting leaders to understand what this vision looks like and then having the courage, because it takes courage to do this work. It's messy work and there's a lot of challenges that come with it. But when your focus is on providing every child with the opportunity to be successful, that really drives you and pulls you forward. I think one of the things, and Virgil, I'd love to have you respond to this. One of the challenges when you think about different learning models, people will get tripped up and say, eh, it's not rigorous enough. Is this as rigorous as what we've known traditionally as we've prepared for the SAT or the ACT and all of that? Can you respond to that? How would you answer that question? the depth of knowledge that required to do this new work. Yeah. Well, just in listening to Dr. Warren and Dr. Matthews uh, examples, I would say that is, those are rigorous examples of, of learning in themselves. But I think a piece that um, folks also need to understand, and it was mentioned earlier, the idea of being really clear about what the expectations for learning are. So that, that means being transparent about what does it mean to to master a learning target or to um, be proficient in a in a particular um, standard? Define that language that might be used locally. Um, so being really clear about what that what that depth of knowledge is, 
But here's the here's the part that I, I believe Dr. Warren and Dr. Matthews learners would also be able to articulate that perhaps in a traditional system, um, learners might not be able to is is that learners actually understand what mastery or what depth of knowledge is necessary um, for demonstration uh, of that of that learning target. Um, in, in the past, it's we as educators held um, that standard, right? I'm, I'm not going to necessarily tell you what's on the test. In these environments, we actually have learners that are uh, have a clear understanding of what the expectation of learning, learning is, what that depth of knowledge is, and they are advocating for how they are going to demonstrate um, uh, their mastery. And, you know, the growth mindset has been a big part of our conversations in schools as leaders. Dr. Matthews, when you think about having a growth mindset for other leaders to get them to do this work, how do you convince or persuade someone that this is what our work, this is our main thing, this is what we should be focused on right now? I think the best way to convince uh, leaders is to, is to take them into a group of students and have them listen to students. Students can convince even the most hardened educator that they are interested in learning, but they want the learning to be engaging and meaningful. And, it, and if you can get leaders to listen to students, then they will understand that they have to change what we're doing right now. And Dr. Warren, just your thoughts. If you could tell leaders one thing, what's that thing that you would say, let this always be your North Star as you do this work? Student-centered and in a world of blockbuster, be Netflix. I love it. Yeah, that's really interesting. Dr. Kiana Warren, Dr. Steve Matthews, and Virgil Hammonds, thank you so much for your time today. We definitely are going to have to get you all back together again for another show. This has been fascinating. And you've been listening to Learning Matters. On behalf of my co-host, Dr. Dave Richards, I'm Ann Thomas. Thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of your day.